you have a copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, turn with me this morning to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. I don't believe there is anything more powerful this side of eternity than a praying mother. Let me say that again. I don't know if there is anything more powerful this side of eternity than a praying mother. I've experienced that firsthand. My, my mom had a difficult time getting pregnant so before I was even born she prayed for me and then then after I was born she prayed for me from the time I was a little baby and she still prays for me today but one of the things that I remember distinctly with her prayers is when I was a teenager I was a freshman in college and and I was I was far from God I was living a rebellious life and I was doing not only stupid stuff but dangerous stuff and there was a friend of mine who almost died because of some things that I did, some choices that I made. And so around 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning in Charleston, South Carolina, I went out by a pond and I fell on my face before God. And I literally begged him to forgive me. And I asked him, if I'm not saved, would you save me? And if I am saved, Lord, take me back. And it was as if God spoke to me crystal clearly and said, I love you, I forgive you, welcome home. And then I surrendered everything I knew of who I was to everything I knew that he was. I said, I'll do anything you want me to do. And it was at that moment I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God had called me to preach. I went back to where I was living and got up early the next morning to call my mom because I knew that she had been praying for me, and I knew she was worried about me. And when she answered the phone that morning, I said, Mom, you don't need to worry about me anymore. And she said, I know. And I didn't give her any details. I said, why? She said, because I was praying for you last night during the middle of the night. And as I was praying for you, God spoke to me crystal clearly and said, don't worry about Rocky. He's okay. And some of you may have a hard time believing that, and you may struggle with believing God moves in that way, but, but I want you to know that I believe with all my heart God heard her prayers that night and answered her prayers and brought me back to him. I've seen that with my wife. There have been times in, in our marriage that I've walked into our bedroom, and I've seen my wife on her knees by our bed literally weeping for our children, praying that God would heal them, praying that God would deliver them, praying that God would set them free. And God in his grace and in his mercy answered her prayers. And so this morning, I want us to focus on a praying woman. We've been looking for the last three weeks on strong women of the Bible and understand there are many more than just three strong women in the Bible. But we wanted to focus on three. And in week one, we focused on Sarah and we discovered she was a strong woman of faith. Hebrews 11 verse 11 says, by faith, Sarah. She was a woman of faith like her husband, Abraham, was a man of faith. And she trusted in God's promises. And even though it was over two decades from when God promised her a son, that God delivered that son, she never stopped believing. Even though there were seasons of doubt, she always had faith, and God delivered on his promise. She was a woman of faith. 
Last week we looked at Esther. Esther was this this Jewish orphan that was being raised in Persia and she became the queen of the entire Persian Empire. She had this opportunity at the risk of her life to save her people and she took it. Even though she could have lost her life, she did what needed to be done. And that's what courage is. Courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is doing what God has called you to do, what God is leading you to do in spite of your fear. But today we want to see that strong women are not only strong women of faith and strong women of courage, strong women are women of prayer. And we're going to do that by looking at Hannah. And the first thing I want to see in Hannah's story is Hannah's problem. So if your Bibles are open, I want you to follow along as we begin reading in verse 1. It says, there was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the region of Zuth in the hill country of Ephraim. He was the son of Jehoram, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth of Ephraim. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Paniah. Paniah had children, but Hannah did not. Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at that time were two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. On the days Elkanah presented the sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Paniah and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Paniah would treat Hannah or taunt Hannah, and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Paniah would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each year, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having ten sons? Now, Hannah clearly had two problems. Now, she may have had more, but she clearly had two problems. She, first of all, had a physical problem. She was unable to have children. Now, I believe that one of the most emotionally painful things a woman can go through is to want to have children and not be able to have children. But in Hannah's day, it was even worse because your children were your livelihood. The more children you had, the more hands you had to work in the family business. And your children were your retirement program. Back then, they didn't have a social security program. They, they didn't have nursing homes that you could go to if you were old. If you didn't have children to take care of you in your old age, then you literally could have been left out on the street to die. But not only that, The people look at not being able to have children as the judgment of God. And so the people would look at Hannah and they would think something must be wrong in her life or God would give her children. Now let me say, if you're here this morning as a woman and you want to have children and as of yet you haven't been able to have children, my heart breaks for you. And though I do not know your pain, I know what it is to dream dreams and have those dreams go unfulfilled. And I know that you're hurting, and I want you to know that you are loved, 
and you are appreciated and you're cared for. And husbands, I would say to you, don't be like Elkanah. Now, Elkanah really wanted to do good. He wanted to do right by his wife. He was trying to make her feel better. He was trying to fix her problem. And so when she was hurting, when she was in emotional pain because of all that was going on, she said, why, why are you, he said, why are you mourning? Why are you downtrodden? Isn't being married to me better than having 10 kids? And, and, and my wife would say, well, being married to you is absolutely better than having 10 kids. But, but, but understand, saying that wasn't making her pain go away. Sometimes, men, we just need to sit down beside our wife, put our arm around her, mourn with her, grieve with her, and let her know that we care for her. But Hannah's problems were not only physical. Her problems were also relational. Now, Elkanah had two wives. Now, we're not going to go into the Old Testament and polygamy and what the Bible says about polygamy today. We don't have time. But let me just say, God's plan from the very beginning was one man and one woman. The New Testament makes that crystal clear. And whenever we see polygamy in the Old Testament taking place, regardless who is involved, almost every time, it created problems. You see, being married to one woman, being married to one man is tough enough, isn't it? I mean, it's difficult living with a husband or a wife because we are not perfect. We're imperfect people. And can you imagine throwing another person in the mix? Goodness gracious. So they had this problem here. They had, Elkanah had two wives, and Peniel was able to have kids. And so she would taunt Hannah. She would make fun of Hannah. I don't know whether she would say, nanny, nanny, boo, boo, I got kids and you don't. I don't know if she did that. But I know that she would make fun of Hannah. And every time Hannah would hear Peniel's kids out in the yard playing and laughing, she would be reminded that she wasn't able to have kids. You see, Hannah had problems. But understand, as long as we live in a sin-filled world, and as long as we live in sin-infected bodies, we will have problems. So that means until we die or until Jesus comes back, you are going to face problems. We all have problems. Sometimes our problems are physical. We go to the doctor and he gives us a diagnosis that we weren't prepared for. Maybe we discover that we've got some kind of illness, whether it be arthritis or something else, where we live in constant pain. There's physical problems. There's relational problems. You may work at a place where there is a jerk, and that jerk makes work difficult for everybody. Your marriage may, be, uh, may not be as good as you we're wanting it to be. Maybe it is a problemed marriage. Maybe your spouse is abusive to you, either emotionally or, or, or verbally or physically. And maybe it's your kids. Maybe your kids are rebelling and acting up and they're breaking your heart. There's relational problems. And then there's financial problems. We, we have more bills than we have money. We, we come to the end of our month and we're paying the bills and we discover that we're out of money before we're out of bills. The truth is, 
life is filled with problems. Some of our problems are big. Some of our problems are small. The question we have to ask is, how are we going to face our problems? When these problems come into our life, are we going to get depressed? Are we going to get angry? What are we going to do? Well, Hannah had problems. But her solution wasn't to get depressed, though she was discouraged. It wasn't to get angry. And that takes us to the second thing we see here, and that is Hannah's prayer. You see, Hannah took her problems to God in prayer. Listen to what the passage goes on to say. Once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her. Seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound, he thought she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk? He demanded, throw away your wine. Oh, no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or, or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged, and I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I'm a wicked woman, for I've been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. Then she went back and began to eat again, and she was no longer sad. So every year, Elkanah and his family would go to Shiloh to offer sacrifices to God. And it was at one of these times that, that Hannah went to the altar and began to pray. I want you to understand that prayer is the solution to every problem we face. That doesn't mean that prayer is the only thing we do. But it does mean that prayer is the first thing we do. And it means that we continue to pray until God gives us an answer. Prayer is the answer to our problems at home. Prayer is the answer to our problems in our culture. Prayer is the answer to our problems in government. Now notice the first thing about Hannah's prayer. Hannah's prayer was passionate. She was pouring her heart out to God. She wasn't praying some scripted prayer that someone else wrote. She was crying in anguish, begging God to hear. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you cried out to God, begging God to work, begging God to move, begging God to answer? When was the last time you got down on your knees before God, pouring tears on the floor because you were in anguish before God? Maybe, just maybe, the reason that God isn't answering our prayers is because we aren't passionate in our prayers. God knows that we are asking, but we really aren't concerned. We really don't care about the answer. Hannah's prayer was passion. Hannah's prayer was specific. She prayed specifically for a child. She prayed specifically 
for a son. And she said, God, if you give me this son, I will give him back to you. And he will serve you in the tabernacle all the days of his life. You see, the Bible teaches that powerful prayers aren't general prayers. They are specific prayers. You see, we don't pray, Lord, save the lost people. We pray for lost people by name. We don't pray, Lord, be with my family. We lift up our family members by name. We don't pray anything general. We pray everything specific. Every day, I'm before the throne of God praying by name for people to be saved. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will convict them of sin, their need for righteousness, and his judgment that is coming. I pray that God would open up their ears and their eyes and soften their heart. I pray that their sin will make them miserable and they will see that it will never give them what they are looking for. I pray specifically for them. I pray specifically by name for my family. I begin with my wife, Sherry. And I ask God to just be with her and bless her life. And I'm not going into the details, but I pray specific things for her. And then I pray for my children. And then I pray for my grandchildren. A little side note here. I pray that Anna Joel will be a good wild child to get back at Matthew for giving me such a hard time. No, I really don't do that. I don't do that. But I pray that God will be with our children. I do pray that God will protect Anna Joy. Because she is a live wire. She will climb on anything and climb over anything. And she always have, has bumps on her heads or something else because she's climbing and falling and getting back up and trying again. And so I'm praying, Lord, just take care of her. Protect her. I pray for them by name. I pray for my neighbors by name. I pray for you by name. Not every day. Goodness gracious, we have too many people in our church for me to do that. But I pray for you by name. And when I do, if you have needs in your life, I pray specifically for those needs. If I don't know of any needs in your life or I don't know you very well, I just pray for you by name. If you're married, your spouse by name, your children. We pray specific prayers. And then finally, Hannah's prayer was birthed in faith. When she got up, the Bible says that she was in peace. She was no longer sad because she believed that God would answer her prayers. Let me ask you a question. When you pray, do you believe that God will answer your prayer? Now, wait a second. Wait a second. I, I didn't ask you, do you believe that God can answer your prayer? You see, if I believe that God can answer my prayer, that means that I believe that God's sovereign. He's in control. He can do anything he wants to do. And I would dare say that Every one of us in this room believe that. We believe that about God. Unless you're a seeker, you're searching, and this is your first time here, you don't come very often, most likely you believe God can do anything God wants to do so God can answer my prayers that he wants to. It's not what I'm asking. I'm asking that you believe, do you believe that God will answer your prayer? Can I tell you something? If you can't pray a prayer in faith, believing that God will answer it, don't pray it. Did you hear me? If you can't pray a prayer in faith, believing that God will answer your prayer, don't pray it. Okay? Pray the prayer 
of faith. And as you're praying a prayer of faith, God may speak to your heart, speak to your spirit and say, I'm not giving you that and here's why. And he reveals that you're praying outside of his will. But the Bible says this is the confidence we have in God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us and he not only hears us, but he will give us the request that we have asked of him. So if I'm praying in God's will, then God's going to answer my request. So you say, Rocky, how do I know what God's will is? Well, the easiest way is to read God's word. I mean, you read God's word and you're going to discover a lot of things that are in God's will. Okay? And you can pray those things with confidence. And God may not answer them in your timing. But if you're praying in God's will, you believe that he will answer. I think about this great man of prayer of a previous century who prayed and prayed and prayed for two lost friends, sons of a friend of his. His friend died, and then he died. And those two men gave their lives to Jesus after he died. He had prayed for over 50 years. He was once asked about prayer, and this is what he said. He said, God hasn't answered my prayer yet, but he will. That's faith. And let me tell you, men and women, we need to pray that way. Believing God. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, some of you are thinking, well, if I delight in the Lord, then that means I can ask anything and everything and he's going to give it to me. I can ask for a BMW and he's going to give it to me. I can ask for a house on the lake and he's going to give it to me. You misunderstand the verse. The verse says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. In other words, when you delight in the Lord, he becomes the desire of your heart. Did you hear that? He becomes what you delight in. He becomes what you want. And all of a sudden, you begin to discover, regardless of what I have or I don't have, if I have him, then everything's okay. So she prayed passionately. She prayed specifically. She prayed in faith. And God answered her prayers. Now that takes us to the third thing I want you to see here, and that's God's power. Listen to what it says here as the verse chapter goes on. The entire family got up early the next morning and went to worship the Lord once more. Then they returned home to Ramah. When Elkanah slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her plea, and in due time she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I asked the Lord for him. The next year, Elkanah and his family went on their annual trip to offer a sacrifice to the Lord, but Hannah did not go. She told her husband, wait until the boy is weaned, then I will take him to the tabernacle and leave him there with the Lord permanently. Whatever you think is best, Elkanah agreed. Stay here for now, and may the Lord help you keep your promise. So she stayed home and nursed the boy until he was weaned. Now, and here's what you need to understand. God's power can heal every hurt. God's power can solve every problem. God's power can conquer every enemy you ever will face. But understand this, it's not the prayer. Prayer connects you with God's power. And as you pray, God's power begins to move in your life and in your situations. But understand, this is important. The primary reason we pray is not to experience God's power. 
The primary reason we pray is to connect with God's presence. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah is in the temple and he, he encounters God. And all of a sudden, Isaiah begins to go, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. If you read chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, you'll read a prayer of praise that Hannah gives to God. She experienced God, and it changed everything. Listen, when we pray, God's power begins to move in our life. But understand, more than that, God's presence becomes evident in our life. And God's presence is to be coveted much more than God's power. But there's a fourth thing here I want you to see, and that's Hannah's promise. Listen to what it says. When the child was weaned, Hannah took him to the tabernacle in Shiloh. They brought him along, they brought along a three-year-old bull for the sacrifice and a basket of flour and some wine. After sacrificing the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. Sir, do you remember me? Hannah asked. I am the woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord to give me this boy, and he has granted my request. Now I'm giving him to the Lord, and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worship the Lord there. Hannah made a promise. You give me a son. Just give me a son. I'll give him back to you. For her to make that vow was literally to give up rights to her son. She followed through with her promise. When Jonathan, our first child, was born, it was back in the day before you had these birthing rooms, and we was we John Sherry gave birth in a delivery room, and and Dr. Gillespie was our doctor. And when um when Jonathan was born, Dr. Gillespie said, "You want to cut the cord?" I said, "Sure," and I cut the cord, and and then he handed Jonathan to me and put him in my arms, you know, all nasty and everything, and and. It wasn't a planned thing. It was a spontaneous thing. When I was holding Jonathan in my arms, I was just overcome. And I literally, there in the delivery room, held him up like I'm holding my hands up right now. And he was, good thing I didn't drop him. But I was, I was holding him up like that. I said, Lord, he's yours. However you want to use him. Whatever you want to do in him. To bring you glory. Do it. Whatever. That's a frightening prayer. Because we're not praying for health. We're not praying for prosperity. We're not even praying God. Call him to be a preacher or missionary. We're saying God. However. It's going to bring you glory. Bring you glory. They're yours. Do it. And that's what we did with each of our children. It was tough. But here's what I know. God knows better than we do. And so I want to close with this. Have you given your children to the Lord? Have you? If you have, what's the evidence? Because I would say, and I want you to hear me and don't take this wrong, but the evidence is against a whole lot of us. I read a report last week 
70% of children who are raised in church, they go to church, leave the church when they graduate from high school. 70%. 70%, not 20, not 30, not 50. 70% of kids who are brought to church leave it when they graduate high school. Now, what does that mean? Has the church failed? I'm sure we have to a degree. I'm sure there are things that we could do different and we need to do different. But understand, we have your kids, some of you, for maybe an hour or two hours a week. For you who are active, we may have your kids for three or four hours a week. For most of you, we don't even have your kids that often. You can't really blame us when your kids turn from church. Because you have them until they're 18. You have them. You have the responsibility and the right to make decisions for them. And understand they're watching you. And they're observing what's important to you. They're taking notes, not in writing, but in their head. And they're seeing what's important. And they know whether the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the church of God is really important. They know. They know whether athletics are more important or academics are more important or extracurricular things are more important. They know They graduate and they leave. And we wonder why. And understand, I know that a parent can do everything right. At home, model what it means to love Jesus and a child can still turn from God. I know that. God's created us with, with a will of our own. But here's what I know. If we train up a child in the way they should go, there's a much better chance that when they're old, they'll not turn from that way. But we have to train them. We have to bring them up. And if you want to change our culture, if you want to change our government, the best way for us to do it is not through legislation. The best way for us to do it is through our kids. We raise up warriors for Jesus, champions for Jesus, who will follow behind us and get involved, and serve, and make a difference. And so my challenge today is threefold. One, become a prayer warrior. You say, what does that look like? Well, it means take a step. Wherever you are in your prayer life, take a step. Improve one step. That, that's all I'm asking. If you're not praying daily, just say, I'm going to start praying daily. If, 
If you aren't systematic in your prayer time, then say, okay, I'm going to start being more systematic. I'm going to use that acrostic pray, praise, repent, ask, um, 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 surrender. Or I'm going to follow Acts. But, I mean, you can, there's all kind of models you can follow to help you keep on track as you pray. But just take a step. Second, have you given your children back to God? Have you said, Lord, they're yours? If you look inside, and you know you're not modeling that, it's obvious, it's evident, then all I ask today is take a step. Make, make one change. One change, that's all. Not asking you to change everything today. Just make one change that can make a difference. And then third, if you don't know Jesus, and today God's Spirit has revealed to you your need, and you're ready to surrender your life to Him, then do it. Do it. You were created for eternity. You were created for a relationship with God that goes beyond this life. And you're never going to have it until you surrender to Jesus. That's the starting point. And so would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes? And with your head bowed, your eyes closed. If you know what that one thing is for prayer, make a commitment to God right now that you're going to do it. If you're a parent or a grandparent and there's one thing that you could do that could make a difference in your child's life, and you know what that one thing is, right now make a commitment to do it and then finally if you're here and you haven't given your heart and life to Jesus today you're ready to surrender everything and trust him then let me encourage you to pray this prayer. Dear God, I humbly come to you today acknowledging that I am a sinner, a rebel. I don't want to live that way anymore. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave to set me free from sin and death. Today I'm trusting you. I'm giving my life to you. Save me. Take control. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Amen.